Michael Russell Park, behind the 44 Gates Avenue, I'm 750 Gates Avenue. Hi, it's Julie and Pete with Rush the Bus, and this is the second half of our podcast with Rich Fredell from Pittsburgh EMS, and um, hope you're still tuned in. And hi, yeah. Rich. <laughs> <laughs> Whose sirens are those? Yours, Jill? Yeah. Uh. That's a... That's probably White Cloth EMS over here. All right, so so you get to Pittsburgh, and so you get get into the academy. What was the academy like when you Um, got in there? So, like, it's not, I think, what was ours, like a month, probably a month, a little month and a half. Okay. Yeah, it's not like, like a regimented, I mean, it's regimented to a, to a, to a point like there's not like physical no any kind of physical um you know like pt or anything like that um, really oh man <laughs> what i hear from the lore um i think they tried to do it and then like somebody bitched about it and then hmm. went to city hall or that went downtown and then it stopped and that's how things happen here sometimes hmm. like it's happening and now it's not, you know. <laughs> you know, so um it was like uh probably a little I'd say a little over a month and then I had, you know, ride a long time uh as third person for a week on a truck. Okay. And then the next week was basically me <clears throat> being in rotation with everybody. So I get a call every, you know, every three calls. Okay. And then just to make sure that um that was okay. So here it's kind of weird because another difference is uh, this thing in Pennsylvania. I don't know how you guys do it with like when it comes to doctors and like, so here we have medical command. So like every agency has a like a, a hospital group or a, you know, here it's University, University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. Like basically there's a group of doctors that's like, it's called medical command. And as a paramedic, you basically have to get authorization to be like you have to get command it's called getting command so so like here we have an interview with like a medical director we talk about the protocols like you know ask questions things like that and then if you get command so all of us as paramedics that work for pittsburgh ems we have medical command through you know our medical director of ems um so so part of the academy was like having a you know interview with our medical director, um, and then after that we got got thrown on the trucks. Um, so it's not like super long. How long was yours? Is is FTMR? Uh, it's like um, maybe three months, yeah. twelve weeks or something. Yeah. Like the first month, I believe, is just refresher. So it's like basically the EMT course again, and then a state exam. So we did um, the whole you, course. We did the whole EMT class. Yeah, like, and if yeah, you don't month. pass, then you don't continue on. Yeah. Um, and then <clears throat> when I did it, it was, you know, you did ride-alongs, and that was like peppered throughout, and like you did different operational things, like we had to do our hazmat stuff, and we had to do, um, I don't know, like subway job type things, like little, you know, kind of cool things that were specific to New York. And then when I did it, we, we basically graduated. And then within six months, you got evoc like you came in and, and drove the ambulance. But even then, you could have been on the job for six months working on the street and gotten fired if you failed evoc 
But now they don't do that. Now they actually put people through EVOC before they leave the academy. So you're supposed to be able to drive like as soon as you get out there. Whereas for me, I wasn't able to drive an ambulance for like six months. Like I always text every day. Um, yeah. So, and there was a lot of PT. There was a lot of running, a lot of lifting, a lot of like uh, running and doing push-ups and all this kind of stuff. So that was, I guess, because New York does have a ton of stairs. It's like a very yeah. physical job. You know, they need to know that you know how to do this and you're going to be able to do it. Um, and then medic school, I did it through the city and it was like a nine month course of like eight hours a day for nine months full time, plus all your, you know, little medical kind of things that you did. Yeah. But yeah. So when you go through it with EFDNY, are you getting paid? You're getting paid? Yeah. You are getting paid yeah. a base salary. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty, that's pretty sweet. It, it was good. Are yeah. you, do you get paid when you do the Academy with Pittsburgh? Well, so, I mean, we would get, we got per, uh, so we got paid to go through the academy for sure. But like, so like you went through paramedic school with the FDNY, which yeah. So like, we had at when I went to paramedic school, we had two people that were members of the San Francisco Fire Department who were um, part of the like the, the agreement that they have is they had a couple slots in our paramedic school, so they would get those slots and then they could up a couple of EMTs and put them through yeah. and then they get paid too. So they're getting paid to go to medic school. And then they're also getting paid. Like they're not having to pay for medical school. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, we at Pittsburgh EMS, cause we have a, um, we have an ambulance, we have BLS ambulances, we have three of them that run our like lower acuity calls. They're all EMTs. They're awesome. Um, because we have a lot of lower acuity calls, obviously, like you guys do. Um, so we have a program here too, where every year two of them get put through um, the Center for Emergency Medicine at the University mm. of Pittsburgh. Um, that the it's an awesome program. So they get put through that, and I don't, I'm not 100% sure if they get paid, but I know that it gets paid for the program mm. gets paid for. Yeah, just very, very nice. I mean. I feel like I was very lucky that I, I made it, you know, because at the time you had to apply, you had to take an exam, like an application exam. Um, and then based on where you were, you, at the time, I think it was like 60 of us. And I think we only graduated 41 yeah. because, you know, if you don't pass the test, you don't stay on. But um, I can't imagine, especially, I mean, nowadays, like now that I have a kid and everything else, I can't even imagine doing that and scheduling rotations and all that other stuff because then they did all that for us you know it was like that was my job was to go to medic school and basically pass medic school so um the only thing was at the end you had to like basically sign a contract saying you work with the department for three years otherwise you'd owe them like whatever you know prorated amount or something um so that was helpful and I, i feel like i'm glad i did it when i did i was like 28 years old you know, like, thank goodness I had time. I was like single. I had no children, you know, so it was like the perfect time in my life. You're like, this is going to be an adventure. I know. And it was super stressful. I, I'm like, I don't know that I would have been able to do that right now, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, did, I did medic school at, you know, whatever, like 36 to 37. And I'm with a lot of, you know, my classmates. I was one of the oldest in the in the class and all my classmates are younger and they're in that most of them single things like that going through that you know like 
Yeah. And I'm like, it's crazy. Me doing this and being a paramedic on a truck at now 40 years old and only been doing this for a year. I'm trying to imagine myself at 21 or 20. I couldn't have done it. I I couldn't have been a medic that young. I wasn't ready. Dude, we had this guy in our uh, medic class in our our paramedic program who is super young, like 19 or 20, but like real smart guy, but and looked real young. When you you look at someone, you're like, you're 12, right? Yeah. Like his face hasn't formed the manly like features exactly. yet, yeah. you know, it's not sculpted out. Yeah. It's like yesterday or the day before I looked at a cop, the cop was right next to us and I go, I look at my partner, I go, God, that guy looks like he's 12. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but running calls, like, I mean, running a pediatric cardiac arrest at, tw- at 20 years old or running a crazy, you know, I know. Or, or even just trying to talk to things that we do on a daily, not on a daily basis, but you know, like having to tell like a family member, like a mom that their kid's dead after an OD and it's like ceased, you know, like in their resuscitation efforts. It's like trying to, there's the gory stuff and then there's like the crazy emotional, yeah. the emotional stuff. And to me, that's the hard part of the job. Like the gory stuff, and if it's with kids, it's like crazy, but, but the emotional stuff is what, really like the hard part that all that all those are the calls that i like really remember and having to do that as a 21 year old like i don't know <laughs> i and i don't know like i don't even know that i would have been like i think that i've always been like very empathetic you know and like i i don't know i try to like listen to people and and like sort of i don't know i mean i think it's hard sometimes to say you know to like grieve with someone or help them through something that's like hard but I feel like at that age, I don't know that I was ready to do that kind of stuff. And like, there's times, you know, still that I feel like, ugh, like, especially when we had like the COVID stuff, it was like every other job was a cardiac arrest. So it was like, we were continuously telling people like, I'm so sorry, you know, like, I'm sorry, like, you know, your grandmother didn't make it or your mom didn't make it. I'm sorry, you know, and like to do that as an adult, you know, is one thing, but to do that as like a 21 year old. And I'm not saying that a 21 year old is incapable of that, but I feel like I don't even know if I would be like at this age, if some 21 year old came in and tried to tell me something, I might be like, oh yeah, you know, like I might be not so receptive to that, you know? And And it's the same thing, like a paramedic at 21, you have a lot of power over a lot of people, Yeah. you know, and you could be dealing with older people and they don't take kindly to young kids telling them what to do. I mean, especially like, I mean, I know you guys have in, in the city of New York, like a, like a large older, like ethnic pop population, you know, different, you know, different ethnicities. And I mean, like Pittsburgh's kind of the same way. And like, to your point, like having someone that's younger talking to, you know, you know, an, an older, you know, couple or someone who, you know, is, is older or in these communities, like, you know, like the Polish community or, you know, whatever community, and having to get that news from someone who's, you know, you know, younger or, you know, maybe doesn't look like they have the experience or something. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. I don't know. I know. I, and I, no, I, I was just, I think that that experience is like sometimes what kind of helps you along, you know, plus I think at, <clears throat> at 21, well, I didn't, I wasn't doing this at 21. At 21, I was barely functioning. <laughs> like I was a delinquent still, like a, 
you know, so yeah, I don't know. I'm always shocked when there's like 18 year olds who like are doing this. I'm like, you picked a career at that age, you know, like, like I was, I went through the academy at 26 and I felt like kind of older, you know, mm -hmm. and, and like, to me, I was just like, is this even what I want? You know, like at 26, I was like, well, I'm not sure, you know. So were you, so were you before, were you an EMT with the department? And then you became, then you like went to paramedic school at the department or did you get hired as like, how did it? Well, for me, I, I was working at a school, like I wanted to teach. So I was like in college to be a, a high school teacher. And then my brother went to EMT school and he really liked it. And he would tell me like, wait, like totally zany stories about his ride alongs. I was like, oh, and I remember at the time, my mom had sort of paid for my brother to go to EMT school, I think, because my brother was like a little wayward at the time. Yeah. So, um, and I was working two jobs, like I was working in a school during the day and at the YMCA in the evening. And I was like, well, I want to do that. And I was like, mom, like, can you help me? And so she put me through EMT school. And then I was like, oh, this is actually really cool. And um, I didn't even do it right away. I like worked as a CPR instructor for like the first year. And it was like the first job I ever got fired from. <laughs> and uh, it was, I was just so disorganized. I'm like not a very organized person. And um, anyway, like then I worked upstate on an ambulance. I went and moved back upstate New York and a friend of mine um, who was a good friend for like a long time, his roommate was like a supervisor at this local EMS company. And, and he was basically like, hey, why don't you, get a job there. And so I worked as an EMT up there. And then I came back down and worked as an EMT with the fire department. And then I went to medic school. But it was like, I was all over the place. Like, I just yeah. didn't really know what I was going to do with myself, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of felt I had this feeling when I got, I don't know, when I got into EMT school, even though it was with a bunch of like younger students, just like kind of like the grab ass and like the, 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 the sense of humor that that we have was kind of coming through a little bit. And I remember thinking like, these are my people. Yeah. <laughs> and now it's like, I can't even, some of the, you know how it is when you're talking with somebody about, you know, something that went on, on a job or like something and, and uh, you know, some gory detail or whatever comes out and just the black and dark sense of humor is so right up my alley. Like, <laughs> I mean, these are my people. So, yeah, I know. entertained I, every day. Yes, but, you know. and I feel like that's the thing. Like especially on the night shift, I don't know. It's just so much. Oh my god, my cat's going wild. Sorry. Um, it's that time for cat zooms. But um, yeah, like I don't know. We'll be working at night, and it's like two in the morning. We're all sitting around in the kitchen, like we've gotten back together, and people are just talking about like wild shit that is like, like if anyone overheard it, they'd be like, oh my God, horrible, you know? And like, we're just hysterically laughing and like letting off that steam. And I'm like, oh, thank goodness for this. You know, like it feels like we're all on the same page. Like we're all kind of joking because it makes it easier to sort of like, I don't know, get through it, you know? Cause it is, I mean, for all that humor, it is a pretty dreary job sometimes. It's like pretty disappointing and like pretty depressing, you know? So you okay. kind of need that. Totally. I mean, you need, yeah, you need that camaraderie, but you need the, the people to be there with you. And then you need the people that have been there before to like be there with you. You know, it's, I don't know, it's just a crazy job to be doing, you know, like the things that we see on a daily or nightly basis, 
you know, the, the funny, the crazy, whatever it is, but it's just like, I, I would rather not like do anything else. But what we do, you know, just we're invited into people's homes. Like it's, I was thinking about that a couple of days ago too, just, you know, walking into somebody's house, you know, paramedics or, or whatever, yeah. just being invited into their home, into whatever back room where their loved one is or whatever it is. But, you know, just the things that we see and the things that we get to do, you know, is definitely a unique profession, you know? Yeah. And I feel like, it, you know, sometimes you go into homes that like are not ideal circumstances, obviously. Um, but it's like, I don't know. I think where there's people who count on us. So you just like, you just suck it up and deal. Like, um, like we had taken a vet recently to one of the veterans hospitals. And I think it was just, it was around the COVID time, but he was not sick. He just didn't have his prescription or he'd gotten robbed or something. Yeah. And I guess he had all his prescriptions in a bag and they stole his bag. So he needed refills on everything. And yeah. so we took him to the, you know, it's vet's hospital. He's like, you gotta feed my cat. <laughs> yeah, that was the thing. Yeah. He was like, Do you, you know, we were like, you got everything. You got your phone, your charger, you know, whatever. Yeah. And he's always like, well, ask, like, do you need to feed your cat? You know, can we yeah. animal for you? So I'm and, standing in like this one corner, looking out the window at everything. And she's like, I'm going to go feed your cat, sir. Make sure there's water. She almost got oh, carried man. away into the <laughs> fish. <laughs> well, because his, friend. his friends, yeah. I went in the bathroom and I was like, oh, there's a few roaches. And I was like, well, no big deal, you know. So I like picked up the food bowl and like a million roaches like, jumped out from underneath and I was like oh. and I'm like I don't want to scream and be like oh god you know like because I'm just like I don't want to be rude to this poor man you know like he's asking me to feed his cat so I like fed his cat I put like food in the bowl and the ones <laughs> the ones that were in there already like kind of trickled out of the top and I was like oh. and then I was like well since I'm in here this water is looking pretty rough so I like picked the water dish up to like toss it in the sink and like again like a bunch of roaches came out from underneath and there were still roaches like in it and i'm like trying not to like get roaches on my hand and like dump it and mm. and then i have to like turn on the water faucet and like the roaches are all over the sink and i was just like oh my god like and this poor man i'm like this guy was a friggin vet you know like this guy like this was a guy who was a soldier he fought for he volunteered. Country, like he volunteered. yeah he volunteered he and i'm like to to, he was in vietnam and and i'm like you know what I'm not going to be a creep. Like, I don't want to be in this bathroom. I want to get the hell out of here as soon as humanly possible. I don't want to take any of these little uh, critters with me on my way out. But I'm also like, all right, like, this is, you know, this guy has a cat. He wants his cat to be fed. And let me make sure his cat is fed, you know? But yeah, like, so there's things like that where you just, like, you have to, like, pretend you don't see things, you know? Like, you're in someone's home. They're very nice and pleasant. And you're, like, looking you know, around, like, you seen Joe's apartment before? You seen that? Yeah, yo. So, all right. So, I got a road story. Uh-huh. We walked in, and it was like, like, so they had filled the whole first floor up. So, now they're living on the second floor of the, of the house. So, like a hoarder situation. So, yeah. It's a middle-of-the-row middle house, and they live on the second floor. It's a mess. So, we didn't see any roaches when we came in. So, we saw a couple around. They all hid. And I'm like, well, let's see if these guys are nice. So we see a few. I'm like, mm, let's put the bag on the chair. So after they realized that like we were nice guys, they all started coming out from like everywhere, bro. And it was a diabetic. So we had to like, we dropped the IV. We're working off, off the chair, keeping everything together. Compact. And 
you know, like we're fighting them off the bags. And that was like, oh my God, can you get a sandwich? And we're just like, let's see how fast we can get this done. It was, oh, it was bad, man. Like they hid until we came out. I know that that always like disturbs me. There's something like very creepy about like roaches in general, but like Yo, I'll take go, rats any day, bro. I know I'd almost rather it, you know, like I'll burn my house down if I had a roach in my house. But when you when you have like an infestation, it's not like one or two, like when it's like you go into someone's bathroom to get something for them or you know, grab their phone charger and there's like a million underfoot, it's like it takes a lot in me. Like to not, like, Did you know they like electrical? Um, they like electrical things. Like the wiring and any the paper, wiring. loose papers. Like the hum of it and the warmth. So like your cable box and PlayStation. Yeah. And light fixture. That's where they hide. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, thing, the things you learn on the Rush the Bus podcast. <laughs> I know. I know. We did another one. Yo, so we had to move like a. They had a fish tank. But it was an empty fish tank, but it was a terrarium oh, for roaches. <laughs> a terrarium for roaches. So, really? Um, I don't oh. think they meant it to be that way, but it ended up like that. Uh -huh. so it was like a rug, and we're doing an arrest, and then there's like this thing that's hanging over the door. So we had to pass it along, and this poor fireman had it, and he bumped this thing that was like above his head, above the doorway. He got a roach shower. Yo. It was horrible. It's horrible. Dude. And everybody's like, like, everybody's like squatted, you know, like in a squatting poop position because like nobody wants to touch anything. Oh. And they're like, yo, my bags are on this. And oh, oh man. Yeah. We went to that one home, remember, like the one that was in Ridgewood. And it was like the guy called for his brother. And I forget why, like BLS was there. It was like the volunteers were there, Glendale volunteers oh, or something. Oh, yeah. And it was like the whole place reeked of cat urine, like so strongly um, and like offensively. And like the apartment was like super sketchy. And like my first thought was like, this guy is a serial killer. Like I just was like, I want to get out of here as soon as possible. Yeah. And, uh, and there was all this cat fur in the walls, like on everything. There must've been so many cats in there that it, it almost like mimicked insulation. Like, it was just like everywhere, every slot and hole that there could be cat fur in, it was. And like, he was very, like, he might've had like mental illness. He was like a little off and the apartment was sketchy. And there were all these rooms that were like unusable and totally dark and like their doors were open. And I was like, so we're good, right? Like BLS, you guys got this, right? Cause I was just like, I need to leave in like instantaneously. Like I have to get out of here. Like there's certain jobs that we go in and I'm like, I start having like panic. I was like, uh, okay, we're done, right? You guys are good, you're good. Like, that's it, you know, like we can go. Cause it just freaks me out, like some of that stuff, you know? Oh, yeah. And that was one of them. What do you guys got in Pittsburgh? I bet you guys, you, know, you guys got some old houses over there. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Oh, I mean, we do have a lot of old houses for sure. <clears throat> I mean, I know we have, a lot, we have a lot of hoarders for sure. Heavy content, the politically correct is heavy content. Is that what Really? It yeah, yeah, hoarding Folks. is not a nice word. Mm hmm. That, yeah. Meanwhile, there's like books written on this and levels. Some of those, who was I talking to? Some agency had, like, a fire department has like levels of hoarding. It's yeah, I've heard thing. that. It's like a, like a 10, like, out of 10. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like a Collier's <laughs> Mansion. 
<laughs> in the world. It's like China's the most horrible, like most horrible. Yeah, it was something like that where it was like a like a because <clears throat> they have to deal with it with you know fire prevention and things like that. But yeah, yeah. like we deal with um, hoarding, really like weird architecture of, of homes, streets that are really narrow and really mm. weird. <clears throat> that's a that's a big thing for sure. Um, weather, obviously, but weather with a combination of like really bad, like really weird streets, but a mm. lot of potholes. They get fixed, but like that's a running joke around here. There's just like potholes everywhere, especially <laughs> bad. Mm. <clears throat> but you come try out our potholes. I know. Yeah. I feel like that's, I have this idea, like, when I was a young child, I wanted to live in, like, Southern California, like, there are a few movies that I saw that I was like, I have to live there, and then that kind of dream went away, and then as I got older, I was like, no, it's back, you know, and, like, when I drive in the city, and, like, I, I get annoyed almost, like, Peter mostly drives, and I'll, like, be the tech, and then we'll hit this pothole and I'm like airborne for a moment, you know, and, and I'm like, hey, like I yell at him and he's like, what do you want? You know, like he gets so annoyed because he's like, I'm going like five miles an hour and I'm like almost falling off the bench seat. Um, and I feel like I have to go move somewhere where the weather is just like, like climate controlled, like somewhere that's like always sunny and the streets are, the streets are nice. In, how are the streets in San Francisco? They have potholes? Uh, I mean... I don't think like it wasn't like something that you thought of like they do in Pittsburgh. It's like it seems like it's always at the point like right at the front of everybody's mind here. Like because there's yeah. like, the amount of I, I don't remember thinking like I mean there are definitely like bad like streets in San Francisco. Yeah, I remember working in Oakland and in Oakland having really bad streets. So, really? Yeah, the city of Oakland. Like, um, but I I remember Oakland having bad streets, but not San Francisco. But I never drove an ambulance in San Francisco. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like Southern California in my mind is like this perfect climate. That's everything like, polished. Like everything is like, <laughs> everything's clean. Like all the um, cop cars are clean. The ambulances are clean. You know? I, mean, I, I, grew, I grew up like North of LA and it's, you know, like growing up there, it's, everybody has a different experience, but I mean, mine was, I just kind of wanted to get out of there. But going back there later on, as someone that's older, I was never really a big fan of LA, like so much, just because it's so big. It's like so sprawl. It's just, yeah, it's massive. I mean, you guys know what's up with that, but, but it's that bit. It's just so spread out, you know, eight mm. million so spread. San Diego is really awesome. If you guys have never been to San Diego, it's, I have um, not. The weather is yeah. amazing, and and people are just really like genuinely nice, and the Mexican food is like on another level. Um, that's one thing that I really miss about the Bay Area is Mexican food. Like, yeah, good Mexican food. Like, no matter who tries to do it here, <laughs> it never turns out right. Funny because we have there's three of us at Pittsburgh EMS that are from California. There's oh wow, yeah. So there's one other guy that actually went to EMT school where I went to medic school. And oh, wow. Another guy, so he's from the Bay Area. And so we always laugh about like how expensive things are there and how they're not expensive here and things like that. But um, yeah, like he, we just always like laugh about, you know, like stuff like that when it comes to 
California and like Pennsylvania. And what kind of food do you folks have now? I mean, like, are there things that you really like in Pittsburgh? I mean, like, are there things that if you're at work, you're like, oh, we should go to this spot and eat, you know, or? Um, so there's really like, so Pittsburgh is really known for like, let's see, like kielbasis, like meat. It's a big like kind of meat town for sure. Um, there's Permanis, which is like kind of the famous, it's the sandwich that is basically. Oh, French. This is the French fry sandwich. Fries on the sandwich. (laughs) Send you a picture of that. Yeah. So that's a, that's a Pittsburgh thing. Um, but I think, I don't know, we just kind of go to like the normal, the normal places, but those, especially lately, because we can only get takeout really anywhere like Cadoba or like, or or uh, like Chipotle or something like that. But there's a couple good, like really good, like um, uh, like Subway, like sub shops, or like sandwich shops here. And then there's really good ice cream here, which is the mm. same with EMS, as you both know. Um, Do love our ice cream. <laughs> like ice cream snack bar, snack bars around. And that's something that there wasn't really that many of in the Bay Area. Like huh. almost like there's, those kind of neighborhood ice cream spots that you walk up to like the Foster's Freezes or, you know, the, you know, what do you call them? Dairy Queens or something like, it's like a walk up, you order. Yeah. I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. Right? So yeah. there's a ton of them around here. And we actually have one in <clears throat> Mattoo's area that like is off the charts, like an amazing, mm-hmm. you know, so that's one thing that I'm real big on is, is ice cream. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I try to, you know, strategically, usually the hospitals have, you know, pretty good EMS rooms and we have ice Yeah, we don't have that. When I worked in Easton in Pennsylvania, like the EMS rooms were dope. Okay. And you could get like a ticket, you would get like a ticket to go to the cafeteria. Oh yeah. And you would go to like certain hospitals at certain times to get like breakfast and like, oh, it's getting lunchtime, let's go back over there now. Yeah, so that, that was like, something that was like, um, so that was something that was totally different from California to PA was the EMS rooms, right? So yeah. there's no, there's no free food EMS rooms yeah. at the hospital. Like there might be like a tray of cookies and like a like half rotten banana and like a <laughs> pot of coffee or something. Mm-hmm. So I get to PA, you know, and into Pittsburgh and Brian calls, whatever. They're like, hey, hey, let's go to the EMS room. I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like, that's where the ice cream's at. I'm like, what? What? Yeah. Like, Dang it. No. Yeah. So, I mean, there's some around here that are, you know, there's obviously better than others, but the being blown away that there was a fridge full of like <gasps> sandwiches and salads and ice cream. And, mm-hmm. and so what did I immediately do? <laughs> Pull the phone out, take a picture of it. <laughs> like everybody I went to paramedic school with, you know, like, check this out, you guys. It's free, <laughs> free ice cream. <laughs> That's one thing that like I feel kind of bummed about because when I first came to Brooklyn like 11 years ago to work EMS because I I was in Queens and I don't remember us having like EMS rooms really but then when I came to Brooklyn there were at least like three or four hospitals that had pretty good EMS rooms Um, and they weren't like in our first due areas necessarily though I feel like I feel like Wyckoff used to give us something I don't know but there were at least sandwiches and like little sodas and stuff like that. And then there were like a couple that had like, li- crap. 
Yeah, well, now there's nothing. Like, no. I think people went really, like, greedy and just, yeah, yeah like, there's, like, a one of those kind of candy machines that you can, like, punch in the numbers and oh, get candy, free. and it was free, and, like, people had, like, filled up garbage bags full of candy. Like, what are you doing? No. You know, like, you're ruining this for everyone, and uh, and it did. Like, they took those away, so, like, now with EMS rooms, like, every now and again, we'd be at, like, NYU, I'm like, please, is there anything in the EMS room, you know, and you go in and look, and it's like, there's nothing, there's like a pot of coffee from seven hours ago, and like some milk that's been sitting out since the coffee got put on, Um, so yeah, like we don't really, we just, it's like 7-Eleven becomes like our thing, you know, yeah, Yeah. us too, for sure, we we mostly stay in the station, but you know, we, we do kind of create, you know how it is with like different partners, you know, yeah. some of you just want to be like at the station. Sometimes I work, not like lately, but I work with people that want to like, kind of like roam around. Yeah, that's what we do. You that's, know? yeah, that's Peter's thing. I'm, like, I'm cool with that if it's, I don't know, if it's during the day or if I'm like in the, if I'm in the mood to do it, I'm totally down. <clears throat> you know, yeah. But. yeah, there's some days, you know, like, I don't know, I, there's nothing left on YouTube anymore. So yeah. I, think I've well, I, I think we have days like there's days where I feel antsy or something. So like some days we'll watch a movie if it's like really chill and we'll watch it in the ambulance. But then like the other day he fell asleep and I get like so crabby. Like I'm like, I'm antsy and there's nothing to do and it's boring. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I looked out the door. I was like, can I skate on this stupid street? And it was like too many stones on the street. I'm like, I can't skate. So I like got out and I like walked and I was just like walking up and down the block. And then at one point, I guess he woke up and I was like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm just walking. I'm bored and there's nothing to do. Like I just couldn't sit there anymore. And I don't think I had my headphones. So it's like, I didn't want to watch a show and then wake him up because we're sitting right next to each other, you know, like yeah. in the ambulance. Um, and then he's like, all right, I'll drive. And then I feel a little bad, but also not that bad. I'm like, mm-hmm. Like, now we spent the whole night chasing stuff and then our one shot got stolen yes yeah that was yeah. a bummer that was i fell in their laps bastard <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're going for a position and they're like oh it's over here on the uh down the street and we're like we're going and then they're like uh show us flag i'm like son of a bitch so yeah when- like in that situation could you just like attach yourself or yeah i mean if we got out and like the other crew like there was the briefest moment where we got out and i realized the shooting victim was still on the ground and there was no stretcher and i was like oh there's no stretcher yet and like as i'm about to turn around and be like let me get my stretcher i see like the other paramedic coming with their stretcher and i'm like yeah like because i was like a lot of patients yeah like this will be fine we come around the block and then like we'll pull our stretcher and then other people don't I'm giving up all the secrets. Anyway, so <laughs> they pull their they don't pull their stretcher, but we do, and they're all blocked in. So it's like, well, I got my stretcher here. <laughs> my patient. And they're like, whoa, they get so mad. <laughs> yeah. Don't forget your stretcher on a trauma job. So don't bring no. you know, bring the oxygen and a collar and do everything in the truck. I know. That's actually that's a good advice. And it's one of those things that like when I work with Pete, like it's just so obvious. And then we had a job one day, like maybe a year ago or a year and a half ago, and Peter was out. He was like sick or I forget why you're out. And um, it came as a shot, but it was in like a second floor hallway of a building. 
So we brought everything, like we brought the monitor and the drug bag and all that stuff, because I didn't know where we would end up. Yeah. And like, as we got up the stairs, um, my boss was there and he's like, yeah, he doesn't have lung sounds on one side. I'm like, oh shit. So like, we start getting the guy out and I turned around and just handed all my stuff off to the firefighters. I was like, yeah, bring this down. Like I can't have it with me. So they bring it downstairs. So now we get the guy on the chair, we get him down the flights, we put him on the stretcher and we're walking to the BLS ambulance and we get there and I turn around and I'm like, I don't have any of my equipment. And I was like, where's my stuff? And like the firefighters are nowhere to be found. And I'm like, what the hell? So like I get on the radio and I tell my boss like, yo, where's my stuff? Like I, my stuff, I need it, you know? So we get in the ambulance and I, it felt like forever. I mean, it probably was like five minutes, yeah. but it felt like a ridiculously long amount of time to sit there waiting for my equipment to like manifest itself. Mm -hmm. And like, apparently my boss went to look for it and he found all the firefighters standing at the back of my ambulance with my equipment, like waiting for us to open the doors. And it's like, I'm not here, dum-dums. You know, like I was so like annoyed because I'm like, I'm in another ambulance around the block, you know? Yeah. And uh, anyway, then he ran our equipment back to us and I was able to like decompress the guy because he needed like needle decompression. But I was like, the whole time I was like having a heart attack because I'm like in a BLS ambulance. They don't have the needles I need. I'm like sweating. This poor kid is like sick. And I was like, damn it, if I was with Peter, like this wouldn't have happened, you know? But also at the same time, I was like, if I was with Peter, I probably would have deferred to him and he would have been the guy to decompress. Right. And I was like, this is good that I got to do it. I like called him, he was like very upset. <laughs> I was like, I decompressed someone tonight. Nice. <laughs> I don't wanna hear it. <laughs> you got any, you popped any chest yet? Yeah, actually, uh, I almost all of them had been either, some, it had been traumatic arrests or, one thing with here is we're like super aggressive when it comes to needle decompression. Like it's mm. like if there's like like not even diminished less like uh, lung sounds, but just you know shortness of breath. You know even they vocalize like I'm having trouble breathing, and there's some kind of like traumatic, yeah, know, like yeah. method of injury, like of uh, injury. We will decompress. So like, I do you see a difference when you do that or no? What's up? You see a difference a lot of times when you just, when you dart somebody like that? I don't know. It's just like when I came here, I was very used to very, well, cause I had never done it actually. Really. I yeah. Never, so it was like, okay, I got to make sure the lung sounds are, you know, different and yeah. diminished like compared to this. And then like, it's one of those things that like, if you make the decision, you're gonna do, you got to like, it's one of those things you got to do. Yeah. Quick, and you got to make a decisive decision. And yep. We had um, a job probably like two, three months ago where that we jumped. Okay. We jumped it. Yeah. We're coming back from getting gas. We jumped it, and it was a, a it was crazy because we were going, we were going to get gas, and this car rips past us like four in the morning, rips past oh. the end as we're going to get gas, and just driving erratically. And yeah. It wasn't Adam. It wasn't. It was another guy at Medic too. But I remember looking at him, being like, "Dude, that guy's gonna kill somebody." Watch. We go get gas, and then we're leaving gas, and a unit calls for a second unit for multiple uh, for multiple patients. Mm. We get up there, and it's that car. Like that car's just freaking strewn, like like down, like down. Yeah. The like just wow. you know when someone hits somebody very high speed, and there's just like debris for yeah yards. So, um, yeah, like get him in the back, 
at first he was like, yeah, all, all I have hurting is my like leg. And then he's like, you know, after four minutes of talking in the back of the ambulance, he's just like, yeah, just like my chest, my center of my chest hurts, but over here it hurts like more. And I'm just getting, it's getting kind of hard to breathe. And I like mm. put the pulse ox on him. Pulse ox is like 78. Yikes. Like 98%. I'm like, <clears throat> just literally it throws the needle at me. He's like, <laughs> so yeah it was the first time i ever decompressed someone that was awake and looking at me and he was mm-hmm. 21 and he was, you know, was, was doing the am i gonna die in your ambulance thing you know, yeah no you're not by the way <laughs> on a second i'm gonna stick this in your chest <laughs> yeah. you're gonna be awake and i'm not gonna give you any kind of anesthetic or anything for it Mm. but hopefully it'll make you feel better mm. <laughs> and then <laughs> the thing where you you know you have to be cognizant of where you pull that needle out because if you're you know if your patient's right in front of you and you're, pu- you're pulling it out right in front of them that needle is no joke scary um, looking yeah needle. so like having to you know pull, like trying to be cognizant of where mm. their line of vision is yeah so made him flip because he's awake yeah. and I'm like what's he gonna is he gonna punch me like, yeah 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 so um I needled them and didn't hear the whoosh or any of that yeah so he said it was easier a little bit easier to breathe he had better like better lung sound we got to the hospital and the doctor uh they ran an x-ray and he looks at me and he's like you did a good job and i was nice. very proud of myself yeah <laughs> very nice did you close your eyes? Did you do the eye cover in dark? <laughs> that always works. Um, no, I, oh. of course I wouldn't have told everybody about it. Uh, you put it in, I'm like, uh, my, my first IO was like that. I was like. Hmm. Yeah, that, my, my first IO was like that. My first, um, my first intubations were like that for sure. But yeah. I still haven't done like an external, like an EJ. Okay. Yeah. Almost everybody I work with like has has done EJs, and like I just haven't had the opportunity really. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's a skill. I used to work with this guy Justin, and he was like, he could put an EJ in anybody. You know. Preceptors and like people I knew that like they would see it. Like I had one partner. We were on an OD, and I could not find access. And yeah. I'm a big fan of starting lines and titrating Narcan. Like, I like it. Like, I'm a big, big fan of that. Not this slam and stuff. And no, yeah. Do, mm-hmm. it, everybody has their own thing. That's mine. So I couldn't find, like, couldn't find access on this guy. And my partner, who's, you know, been a medic for a long time, who's just happened to be kind of on the other side of the firefighter who was bagging the patient. And yeah. It, from, like, it seemed like he saw it from across the room. He's like, <laughs> I see an EJ, <laughs> and he and he, he nailed it. Like yeah, right in, I titrated like 0.5. Yeah, woke him right up. But some people, you know, can just literally. It seems like they can like throw a catheter and hit yeah. it from across the room. Like, yeah, yeah. I know the biggest thing for me is like you have to remember that it doesn't flash. That's. You know? I think that's the thing that I because the only time I've ever attempted it was like on a diabetic patient who we've taken and you actually got a line on her another time. And um, she's like very ill and like she has terrible vasculature and 
I didn't want to do glucagon if I could avoid it, you know, because I'm like, this woman, this happens to her like a lot. And I don't want this to happen to her tomorrow. And then she has no glucose, you know, glucagon stores or whatever. So I ended up uh, trying the EJ and like, I guess I didn't, maybe I was in, I didn't realize I was. And I just ended up giving glucagon and then taking her to the hospital. And then the next time we were there, you got the thumb IV, which is, oh, you got the thumb, bro. Oh my God. Once he gets to that point, and I have, I have a good vein in my thumb, actually. Like, my hands are, like, pretty good. But um, once he gets that, I'm like, that's all you, buddy. Like, I get so skeeved by that. Like, I don't know. I feel, especially for, like, people who are awake, too. And he'll be like, don't, don't move. Don't move. And he's, like, grabbing their thumb. I'm like, oh, my Lord. Or he'll do this part. Oh, God. People are like, we'll never get an IV. I'm like, we'll get it. Yeah watch this yeah never say never yeah you know? I, I never ask anybody are you a hard stick and i know I it's medic students that like don't ask people if they're a hard stick because then like you defeated yourself already yeah you like so, jinx it i never ask anybody no ivs were like one of those things <clears throat> when i was new i mean on my internship it was funny because i didn't actually get an, a successful iv for like the first like month and a half it seemed like a good successful IV where it kind of built some confidence for like my first like month and a half. Yeah. For some reason, like one day, I don't know what it was. It just like, and my preceptor told me, he's like, one day it'll just click. And then you start to like, and it did. And now I'm not like God's gift to IV. (laughs) Yeah. Neither am I. But I just, I just get lucky. I don't know. I don't think you get lucky. I think Peter's actually really good with IVs. Like I, I feel like there's there's jobs where I'm like I know I have this and then I don't have this and I'm like this is you you know because I I felt like I was definitely gonna get it and I'm like so shocked that I didn't you know but um yeah it took me a while too in medic school like I thought I was gonna fail out of medic school because I was having such a struggle with IVs and then I had this really great instructor at the time and she was like kind of intimidating she was like really smart she's retired um and she was just like, I don't know what you're doing wrong, so you're gonna do it on me, and uh, let's figure this out. And like, as soon as I like had the IV near her, she was like, Well, now I see what the hell's going on. Like, you're too high up, and like she like yelled at me, and I was like, Oh, and I was a little annoyed that no one had mentioned it prior to that point, and I bruised the shit out of her. I mean, like she had a huge bruise on her hand for like two or three days. But I got it and like she let me do it on her and it was nerve wracking, but I was like so thankful that like someone had seen where I was going wrong and like adjusted me and, and that was it, you know, but I still, I don't know. I still, I did an IV on Peter once and I totally messed him up. Like, (laughs) I, I think I was just like totally nervous because it's like my partner, you know, and I like destroyed him. (laughs) So he had a massive bruise, you know. Nice. I'll be right back. I get it. Okay. But, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. there's there's certain skills that you feel more confident with than others, and yeah, I I feel like my my etudes. I'm like I gotta get better. Not that I gotta get better. I just it's like you get so used to certain things. Like on a rest, he'll always do the tube, and I'll always get like the line or the IO. Yeah. And um, so it's like I'm like, oh, what happens if he's not in, and I have to work with someone else? You know. <laughs> Yeah, I've been, I mean, I'm not one of those, and I probably should be more, like, more energetic about getting, like, more intubations, 
you know, intubated a couple of patients, but you know how some, some people are like super energetic about getting tubes. And part of it might be the inexperience and not having a lot of tubes and being like, well, I can just drop a king. That's just kind of like where my- I wish we had those, man. Oh, we won't have those. <laughs> so Basically, we have really, we're only supposed to have one pass, like with um, direct visualization. And then if we miss it, we're supposed to drop a king, which that's supposed to be like an ironclad rule. And mm. me, like, you know, like I look and if I, and I use a bougie and if I can't even see anything, <clears throat> yeah, I use a bougie almost like every time. It's just like yeah. how I was taught. Yep. That's the best way though. Yeah. I mean, I, that's just how I was taught and I've been taught different ways and everybody has their own way of doing it. But I feel like the school that I went to, I was taught like really good kind of basic fundamentals skills, maybe except IV skills, but <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, like some people are super energetic and like, I probably need to be a little bit more energetic on my cardiac arrest, being able to give it to you, but you know, so everybody has their strong suits, you know what I mean? And that, and that goes back to having two medics on the truck. Yeah. You know what I mean? So. And I think that's, it's, you know, during the COVID time where we were having so many cardiac arrests, that was the thing, like Peter tends to be the guy who's going to tube. So we were like, all right, you know what, then I'll, we'll switch it up. Like I'll do the tubes. Cause it was like, there was no shortage of arrests, you know, we were like doing them all the time. But then with COVID, like what I was unprepared for was the amount of fluid in the airway, like where I'd be like, yeah, nope, you know, like I need suction. And then even after suctioning, I was like, I cannot see anything. And like, we had one time where I put my mask on and I like totally forgot my glasses. <laughs> and like, it was like, I, things seemed different and then as soon as we got into the house and I started getting down to like do the tube I was like I can't see shit and I was like oh, I have my glasses on I was like damn it I can't do this tube you know I was like sorry man so he was still tubing but it was like we were pulling like like eight ounces of fluid out of people's like you know the back of their throats and I'm like I can't see like I can't I don't want to just sit there dicking around doing this like I could just get the line and he could do that and like then we're on our way you know or whatever yeah. So totally. Yeah. yeah. Is there something that you tell all your, you know, like when you get ride-alongs, like students, is there something that that you tell them, you know, or something that you expect from them, you um, know, like a new person? I, I'm really big, like a couple of things, like I'm big at with, like people on ride-alongs, or at least like newer people. I'm big of them introducing themselves to everybody. Like I was taught that. It goes a long way like even if you don't know someone just being like if you're a student or if you're like an intern going up like hey my name's richie i'm you know i'm pete's intern you know like just introducing yourself to everybody goes a long way yeah. um i i feel like i like i try to instill more of like the like empathy part i guess when it comes to you know being in the back of an ambulance with somebody when i'm like I, i'm not a preceptor but i have partners that are so i have their students with me in the back sometimes because yeah. calls and so it's me and them and and i find myself walking this line of being like because i'm such a new medic but i feel like i have some stuff to like teach yep. it, right but i but i preface it by saying like hey i'm new but i have a lot of life experience too yeah. So there's that, 
but being in the back of, the, of an ambulance and, and assessing a patient, but at the same time being empathetic with the patient and like the way that you're talking with the patient and learning things about the patient and, you know, like if this is really what you want to do. And a lot of the students that come through or want to go to PA school or medical school or, or I don't know, whatever they want to do, but taking that, like that empathy that you can learn in the back of the ambulance with even like a not so sick or critical patient, yep. just being empathetic with somebody in the back of the ambulance and, and being there for that, for that person. Like you can't really ever go like ever go wrong, you know? So I try to <laughs> at least impart that kind of stuff with, um, with, with students that I have and, and try to get out of, out of your comfort box, like out of your comfort zone and try to do something you're not, um, you're not comfortable with. So like if there's a situation that arises and like, let's say you randomly get an arrest and you have a student who's maybe not a medic student, but is doing the EMT ride along or whatever. And you're just like, you ever done compressions? And they're like, yeah. like you're doing them now. Like, yeah. you know what I mean, like, but just having, like looking at them and and letting them know that like you feel confident enough in them yeah. for them to do compressions you know what I mean or them to just like you feel like they can look at you and say hey he feels confident enough in me to throw me into the situation he thinks I can do it that I can do it you know what I mean? yeah so I try to do that tell him to ask a lot of questions and don't be embarrassed about asking stupid questions mm -hmm. Yeah, I hate the I knows. Yeah. I hate when people say I know. And then and then they don't really know. Yeah. I think in general that's not appealing. You know, if you're trying to like tell anyone anything or teach somebody something and they're like, Yeah, no, no, I I know. You're like immediately defensive because you're like, No, you don't know. So I'm telling you this, you know, but uh I, I think those are good, like valuable sort of lessons to try to impart to people that have empathy for others like this job is like I don't know we're not cops you know what I mean like there's a lot of folks who like to pretend they're police officers in the back of an ambulance Did you hear about the ambulance that was involved in a high-speed pursuit what yeah I think it was like no. Westchester yeah they were chasing <laughs> they were chasing a car that was uh reckless driving and speeding oh my god and so now you're reckless driving and speeding like you're, what are you gonna do? Citizens arrest? Come on. What are you gonna box him in? <laughs> what, are gonna, what are you gonna get somebody else? To be like, I don't know, man. I'm gonna box this guy. They probably listen to us too, but I'm sorry. <laughs> I had to bring you up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I think like it, you know, to kind of go back there. Like, there's definitely people who are rude, and like there are patients that I try to be respectful towards, and then they, you know, make the situation difficult to do so. But I would say like most of the time, I don't start off on that foot. Like I kind of go in the back and try to like talk to somebody like they're a human being because they are and they're not under arrest and I don't care if they use drugs or they're drunk or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like it's, you know, like having empathy for others is an important skill. And like, yeah. um, if you can't empathize with other people, it's probably not the right job, you know? Some people just have piss poor bedside manner. Yes. They just don't know how to I mean usually I'm not saying it's like young people but it's funny when someone that's younger comes or comes around and has 
like amazing empathy and bedside manner with people. Like it stands out to me where mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, you're 19 or you're 20 or 21 or young yeah. to me, under 30. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, you're a very like empathetic, like person who's really like kind of like thinking, thinking this, this through and having like a legitimate, like two way conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Difficult situation, you know? Yeah. but I don't know that's what I like a lot about our job is the soft stuff like the skills and all the you know the medicine I like a lot but I I really like the the being across from somebody in the back of an ambulance like that's kind of I think why a big reason why I wanted to be a paramedic and not so much going to fight fires because I wanted to be in the back with people you know Yeah. yeah have a one-on-one dynamic, you know, a one-on-one dynamic and being able to kind of, like people say, be there for people in their like worst moments and worst days. But at the same time, like just have that feeling of like, Oh, I know what to do. You know, at the beginning of this, like it was actually like one of my goals to like get to a point where I could be like, Oh, I kind of know, like, even if I don't know exactly what to do, like, I kind of know what to do and if I yep. I can find out but, yep. but as a paramedic like you kind of now like oh it's my day off and a car crashed in front of me and or there's somebody on the I know what to do like yeah. Yeah. and even if you don't you can't let anybody know that you don't know what you're doing exactly <laughs> that's a bad deal when you got a dope poker face so <laughs> when some shit's going down you're like we got this we got this <laughs> Yeah, there's been a few of those where I'm like, oh my lord, after the job, I'm like, I was nervous. And Peter's like, me too. I'm like, really? Because I thought I was going to throw up, you know? And like, he's just like looking all cool and collected. But I guess I didn't look that wild as I felt. I mean, I've definitely had jobs where I apologize to like the BLS after. I'm like, I'm sorry if I was like abrasive or whatever. Like, I felt like that was like kind of a rough call. And they're like, no, you're fine. I'm like, really? Because I felt insane, you know? Like, (laughs) Cause I'm like, it felt so chaotic and like scary, you know? And, um, I don't know, but that are like that, they're, they're, compl- they're those like really, really low percentage calls that come in that like when it's those all hands on deck calls that go out on the radio and you can tell by people's tones of voices, like what's kind of going down. Yeah. Like, yeah. Or you listen to them and you're like, why are you screaming for this? I'm always yeah. dazzled by that. I don't know. But that's the thing also, I think like sometimes that's, that's experience. Like when you have been doing this, um, if you're kind of a new EMT or something like something that might feel like pretty standard for you might not feel that standard for a new EMT. I mean, you know, like even like we had a job a year and a half or a year and some odd months ago, like that was one of the worst jobs I've ever had in my entire career. And like the good thing about that job was that I was with Peter and then there were several crews from our station who also took part on some level in that job. Like, like we had one patient, another crew had a different patient, like then another crew handled like the child of it, um, of the person. And like, anyway, long story short, there was at least like eight of us from the same station or nine of us that like kind of dealt with this personally. And it was sort of like really chaos and upsetting but like I don't know having each other um it you know it's like you kind of were able to like 
feed off each other. And, and I also like every one of those people basically saw me crying like an idiot that night, you know, like, and flipping out and like, whatever, but it was like, I was so overwhelmed by the, the evening. Um, but I also felt like, all right, well, this was awful for everybody involved, you know, and um, so I don't know. It, it, and like, that was, you know, at this point, I've got like, I think I had like 15 years into my career. So you never know how someone's going to react with a call. Like, it's just, you know, what it is. So uh, where are you going to go next after this? You going to rescue? You going to the boat? What are you going to do? Still, like, I, I personally really want to go to the river. Okay. Uh, on the boat yeah because um it's i don't know like i really i've always been enthralled with like fireboats thought fireboats okay. were really cool yeah and just being on um that that geographical feature of, of pittsburgh is really awesome like the rivers are so like a dominant part of like what pittsburgh is and being able to like your job is to you know like basically roll around on the rivers and like patrol mm -hmm. And yeah, be a diver and get paid to do. It. It's pretty awesome. So yeah. yeah, the training is pretty intense. Like yeah. from, the water's dark. <laughs> like, oh. It's like seven months of straight, seven months of straight dive training. Wow. Yeah, like there's no, like they take you off the trucks and for that's why they only do it every like couple of years because it's mm. pretty. Yes, it's pretty intensive. So. so mm. I'm kinda, Got to prep for that, like swimming and things like that. Because right now I'm, I'm 40 and I'm like I got this little jelly roll and <laughs> I get tired sometimes going up like three flights of stairs with the monitor. I'm like, yeah. I'm gonna get better. So, so yeah, we'll see. I think it's the boat. Um, I was interested in like tactical stuff, but I don't, I don't know if it's my, my a type a mentality i don't think i have the mentality for it we'll see yeah because they give you guys guns too which is kind of cool yeah, yeah. Cool. you guys got all the coolest stuff bro i'm just saying i know pittsburgh ems <laughs> does sound really exciting <clears throat> i'm like we should all move to pittsburgh I, know. I, I don't know like it's just really it's really good it's a good the system's really good like we get i feel we get treated really, really well. Um, people that come from EMS that have worked at other places in EMS, when they go to Pittsburgh, it's like they have something to compare it to. You know, like I have an experience where I worked somewhere and it, you know, maybe it wasn't the best. And then you have somewhere that's like a really good place to work. Yeah. It's awesome. It's like cool. finally, like, it's weird having like a career for me where where I'm like, I'm done. Like, I'm like, this is where I'm going to, in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to retire. Yeah. I don't have that much time because I'm 40, but I mean, like, uh -huh. I mean, I've been doing all these different jobs all yeah. throughout life. And I'm like, when am I going to get to a place where I'm going to be like, oh, in 10 years, I'm going to be, I'm going to be here. I don't want to be building a pension and yeah. I'd be humongous or anything, but yeah. you know, something and I got benefits and I can, so. Yeah. I hear that. Yeah. All right. So we've been going for like two hours. Sweet. Mm -hmm. I don't know if anybody wants to listen to us for more than two hours, even though we could talk. <laughs> Probably not. But we're fine. We're fine. I think so. Well, well it's well, been cool. Like it's been cool meeting you guys. Like just overall, like Definitely. it's cool. 
the cool conversations we always have. I like texting you guys back and forth. Yeah, I like it too. And I, I feel like you and Adam have made me like, I mean, I, if I were younger and also I maybe didn't have a kid, I'd probably try to move to Pittsburgh. You know, I'm sure his dad wouldn't be super pleased if I was like, hey, I'm going to go work Pittsburgh EMS, you know, but, um, but yeah, like I, I feel like it sounds like a really cool place and I'm, I'm looking forward to the time that, you know, Pete and I get to like actually go out there and hang with you guys. Just hang with again. And well, you yeah. Got, you got a spot at my house because we got basically a floor that's unoccupied, so. Cool. cool. Thank you. Yep. So All right. The wife, the wife okayed it, so it's cool. All right. Oh, nice. I know. I'm like, have you spoken to your wife yet? <laughs> we have now moved to the scheduling phase. Yes. <laughs> yes, I know. Excellent. We were going to come and we just didn't want to get you guys COVID. I know. We were. We thought about it and we were like afraid that we we're going to be harbingers of like, you know, yeah. illness or COVID something. Death. You're like, here comes the lepers from the yeah. <laughs> I know from the afflicted territories. Yep. Yep. Are they supposed to quarantine for 14 days? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. Exactly. So let's right. get it done, guys. Definitely. All right. All right. Someone's gonna stop recording. Julie. Yes. Rick, thanks for coming on. Always. Thank you. I know. Thanks. All right. Pete and Julie rush the bus. All right. <laughs>